Good morning. As you are, as you're taking a seat, if you are looking for seats, we have just a few spaces um, spread out around the room. I see two and one. Our ushers would love to help you find a seat. Definitely don't want you having to stand. Uh, guests, thank you so much for being with us this morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and um, just wanted to say thank you for uh, your grace with us as we um, continually somewhat struggle with a limited amount of room um, that uh, God has given us, but uh, we're so grateful that we could all be together uh, to worship Jesus this morning. I also want to just ask, uh, give a word of encouragement as you leave this morning. Be sure and thank our amazing parking team who stood out in freezing cold weather to help you get in the door and hopefully uh, park your cars safely without incident. Um, If you want to open your Bibles, it's been two weeks since we've been in uh, the book of Acts, since we got to celebrate Baptism Sunday last weekend, but open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. For those of you that are paying really close attention, I know there's at least three of you who are saying, but wait, we didn't finish chapter 19. Um, And we're going to make our way through a rather large chunk of scripture, but we're going to start um, sort of what in the middle of our, the totality of the text that we're going to cover this morning, going from the middle of Acts chapter 19 all the way through uh, the end of chapter 20. To catch you up, if you were, have not been with us recently, at the end of uh, chapter 19, or the beginning, excuse me, of Acts chapter 19, we saw Paul d- doing great ministry, and he um, sees within the city of Ephesus, this ministry is taking such a hold within the city that demons are being cast out. Um, there is a man who's possessed with a demon. There's these seven sons of the Jerusalem sort of religious leaders who think to themselves, we're going to profit off of some of this work of gospel transformation that's happening, and that demon says, I don't know anything about you. I know Jesus and I know who Paul is, but I don't know you. And he destroys, he kind of throws these, uh, this, these seven men out naked and ashamed. And through all of that transformation, through that strange story, ultimately a very strange story in our Bibles, what ultimately happens through that is Jesus' name is elevated. His name is extolled, is worshiped because of that. Well, as we continue on, Luke begins to then sort of fast forward and we get this journey, Paul's third missionary journey. Uh, Luke records for us a lot of different cities and a lot of movement. Um, And so we're going to take a large chunk of scripture today, primarily because as we look at the totality of this text, I could probably say this is one sermon and this is another one. We could spend three weeks on this. But the way that Luke wrote it, there's one of the things that we see in this text is this theme of a life well spent. Spending your life for the gospel is a worthwhile endeavor. And as we think of that, we see on display through Paul's life and through the contrast of the city of Ephesus prior or preceding that at the end of chapter 19, we're going to look at this contrast and see what this looks like to spend a life for the sake of the gospel. Very quickly, a quick summary of what happens, and we'll come back and read some of this text. But in the middle of Acts chapter 19, in verse 21, a riot breaks out. This riot breaks out because worship of Jesus, again, is growing in this city so much so that idol worship is declining, and that is impacting the business of those who make the little idols. And so this business situation causes a riot to break out. There's such a dangerous riot that the friends of Paul say, you can't even go in and try and and, and squash this or defend yourself. Ultimately, the city manager comes in and helps to sort of put that riot down. Paul continues to preach. He's journeying all over the world, sharing the gospel. This poor young man falls asleep having to listen to Paul. So just know you have good company when that happens to you. Um, Now, Paul preached till midnight, though. So that's one excuse that he had. But anyhow, a man falls asleep, dies, ultimately 
ultimately Paul raises him from the dead. And as we come to Acts chapter 20, where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, Paul has been preaching this gospel, boldly sharing Christ, and he goes to a place called Miletus, which is near the city of Ephesus. He's not in the city, and he calls the elders to himself, knowing, I'm headed to Jerusalem, and I'm never going to see you again, and so I want to leave you with these words. I want to tell you what I have done, and I want to call you and sort of encourage you in this ministry that I've lived out, that you too might follow that same type of work, that you might follow that ministry. And so, if you're able, would you please stand out of reverence for God's word as I read from Acts chapter 20, picking up in verse 17. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold... I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of grace of God." And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among you, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified." I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Lord Jesus, we thank you as we do each week for your word, which has the power to transform, to instruct us, to correct us, to bring life. Holy Spirit, we pray in this room that you would lift Jesus up in all of our hearts there's anyone here who is far from you, Lord Jesus, would you draw them to yourself through the power of your word? Not through any wisdom or words of man, but through the power of your word, Jesus, would you move? Would you help us to see through our brother Paul a life well spent? Would you encourage us and strengthen us to live our lives in the same? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
As you heard read, Paul is giving this final word, in a sense, his last words to this dear church that he loved in Ephesus. And any time you receive the last words of a loved one, you know that there is power in those words. There's something important that is to be shared. And Paul reserves this powerful challenge and this encouragement to the elders of the church in Ephesus. He loved them and he wants them to remember the gospel. And he wants them to remember how he spent his life. And as they remember how he spent his life, they might also spend their lives in the same Well, before we look a little bit more closely at this encouragement that he gives and how we can follow after Paul in this same way, let's jump back, as I said, to chapter 19 where we see a contrast of this. See, Luke gives us this contrasting story. First, lives that are worshiping and following idols and pursuing idols contrasted with Paul's life that is spent exclusively for the sake of the gospel. And in Acts chapter 19, this riot that broke out in Ephesus was all rooted or a result of people who had misplaced their worship. They were worshiping the wrong thing. Amen. Again, this, this demon had been cast out of this man or tried to, and they ultimately threw the seven sons of Sceva out. And after these events, Paul leaves. He begins to travel around. And in verse 23, it says of chapter 19, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Again, this is in the city of Ephesus, and there's no little disturbance. Luke's way of saying this was a major incident. There was a great riot that broke out concerning the Christians. The reason for this was a man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. Artemis was the Greek god who was worshipped primarily there in Ephesus. And uh, uh, Demetrius had a business along with many other craftsmen creating and forming these idols that were used in idol worship. Well, Paul has come along and he's began preaching the gospel. And as we said, as Jesus is lifted up, the worship of these idols is diminished. And notice what Demetrius says in the middle of verse 25. Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, Demetrius is testifying to the power of Paul's ministry in all of Asia. This Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Now this riot is a major outbreak in this city, so much so, again, that Paul's friends say, you can't even go and deal with this. They're going to put you to death if you try to deal with this riot. They're so upset about this situation. But when we look closely at Demetrius' words, his own testimony, we see the power of Paul's life contrasted with this idol worship. And in a sense, this statement that Demetrius makes, that Paul has said, and he's persuaded a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods, has to be one of the silliest statements ever uttered by a human being in the history of mankind. When we look at this statement intellectually, it's he's saying that gods made with hands are not gods. So you're telling me, Demetrius, that something that I can create with my own hands, out of my own creativity, with my own power, with my own strength, with my own designs, all of these things, that's not a god? We should all just respond, duh. Of course it's not a God because the moment we can create something through our strength, with our power, with our intellect, with our abilities, we are more substantial, we are more significant, we have more power than the thing that we are creating. Why could we call or would we worship that as a God? It's intellectually completely ridiculous to think that something created by man should be worshipped as a God by man. 
This is the blindness, what we see on display here, the blindness of our minds. Again, just on the face of this statement, it's as silly as it sounds. And yet, how often do we fall prey to this same temptation? To find things that we can control, to look at things that we are able to create, things that we are able to fashion with our own hands to create, whether it's our businesses or our power or our relationships or any of these types of things on this, in this life that we can sort of create and control with our own abilities. We turn to those things and we begin to put them in a place that they don't belong and we worship them as gods. Many of us have fallen prey to that. Idols look many different things. They aren't always simply something that is a physical thing that is fashioned by our hands, but in some way, something that we are able to control and manifest out of our own lives, we say, this is what we are tempted so often to worship. And Demetrius and all of the rioters in Ephesus are upset because this idol, these idols are being diminished, and Jesus has taken their place. As Christians... What we worship is going to be on full display. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, knowing this and recognizing the reality of our condition, says to us this quote, Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. What a powerful statement. That our lives as believers in Christ should make non-believers, those who diminish or deny our God, should cause them to question that disbelief. Why would they question that disbelief? Because they see in us something that looks completely counter to the world. Most of the world spends its time doing what Demetrius was upset about, worshiping things that were made by hands, things that we can create, things that we can control. Our lives should be spent and used by God and lived in such a way that those who see our lives and are witness to our lives, it causes them to ask questions, to have doubts. This riot, by the way, is so violent again that Paul can't put it down. There's nothing, no one can quiet. They send this poor guy Alexander in to try and deal with it. They shush him up. They send him out. They start shouting, how great is Artemis? Great is Artemis. And finally... The city manager comes in and he has a word for these rioters and he warns them that Paul and his friends aren't doing anything illegal, but they themselves are probably about to be found doing something illegal. They're going to be accused of insurrection. Peace in the cities, this manager understood as the city clerk, local power was important to him. And he knew if he wasn't careful and they didn't put this riot down, ultimately Rome was going to come in and they were going to, they were going to quiet that riot one way or the other. And so he's warning them. The way that he warns them and the way that he quiets this riot is very interesting. And it teaches us what it looks like or some of the challenges of dealing with idols. How do we defend this? Look at chapter 19. Verse 37, as the clerk speaks. Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of, Ephes- uh, city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis in the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to quiet, be quiet, and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are, look closely, neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. The city manager says, these Christians, 
They are not blasphemers, and they're not doing anything sacrilegious. They didn't rob the temple of Artemis, and they're not speaking anything ill of the temple or of Artemis. They are simply worshiping something else. And he used that language to quiet the crowd. So often, when we see idols in the world, when we look at our own lives, one of the things that we try to do is to address the idol specifically. And through this text, we can see a much more glorifying way to deal with idols. Lift up the name of Jesus. Idols will fall when Jesus is elevated. When Jesus' name is lifted high. And this is what the city clerk understood was happening. They weren't saying anything. The Christians had not said anything or done anything to diminish Artemis, to rob the temple of Artemis, to do anything against those people. They had simply seen Jesus and worshipped Jesus. His name had been elevated. We confront idols in our lives and we confront idols as we see them in the world, not by tearing them down, but by lifting Jesus up, friends. Lifting Jesus up so that the worship of Jesus becomes supreme. See, when we're worshiping Jesus, we're always going to be worshiping something. We're always going to be addressing and sort of giving our lives to something. When the worship of Jesus is what we give our lives to, we won't have time to give our lives to these lesser things. Our focus and our attention will be on Jesus. We need more time with Jesus. We need more prayer. This is why we have called our church to spend this season focused, intentionally praying and asking for Jesus' presence. This is why we're asking you, inviting you to come back on March 3rd and join us in corporate prayer together. By the way, I checked the registration just before I walked up. There's 19 people registered for uh, our prayer gathering. There's quite a few more than 19 here this morning. Um, Of that 19, one family has about half of those, by the way. So... (laughs) We got a lot of work to do. Let's get together in prayer on March 3rd. But we need more reminders of the gospel. We need to focus our attention on Jesus more. This is how idols will be put down in our lives. Well, this riot is squashed by the city clerk, and it says that Paul, in the beginning of 20, continues on this great journey. I've got the maps that you've become to beloved. I know. You look at these maps, these small fonts in the back, you're thinking, I can't see any of that. But... This is a picture of Paul's third missionary journey. He's going back and forth from Achaia up and over Macedonia, Philippi, down to Ephesus, back and forth. In the next slide, it will show you this focus attention where he came to Miletus. And in Miletus is where he called the Ephesian elders to come down and speak with him and ultimately for him to speak with them. The journey continued. And then again, as we come closer to this text, we see what does it look like not to be people who are worshiping the wrong thing as what was happening in Ephesus by so many idol worshipers, but to be a people with a devoted life, a life continually and committed focus on Jesus. Well, we can look at what Paul says and really the central verse of this text that you heard me read earlier is verse 24. I, Paul says... Do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul 
passionately has been preaching the gospel and he calls the Ephesian elders to himself knowing that he'll never see them again. These are people that he loves. We can see that as we got to the end through the tears that they shared together with one another knowing that they weren't going to see each other's face again. And Paul wants to remind this church, I don't account my life of any value or precious to myself. All I want to do is spend my life devoted to Jesus, be spent by him for the sake of the gospel. Some of you who've been around, if you've been a part of our church for most of this sort of school year, you might remember our summit where we kicked off this calendar, this sort of ministry year with this verse and the theme of being faithful nobodies. What does it look like to be someone who is faithful, pursuing the Lord, and considers our lives not the most significant things? We don't worship ourselves. We don't want to see our name lifted up. We are here to see Jesus' name elevated. We see that in, a, in Paul's life through Acts 20, 24. I account my life as no value. That's not what is precious to me. Paul is following Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, we remember his word to the church in Philippi where he talked about Jesus who did not count himself as equal with God even though he was God. He didn't consider that what he needed to boast in. He wanted you to know Jesus came to display his perfect humility. He was God, and yet he was willing in complete humility to go to the cross for the sins of the world. Or Jesus' words himself in in, in the Gospel of Mark, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. This is who Jesus is, and this is the the Jesus that Paul is proclaiming. And he says, I don't count my life as what is most significant. I simply want to be used by God. I want the gospel to be my attention and my focus. Every bit of Paul's life was focused on proclaiming Jesus. Now, you're thinking to yourself, well, that's great for you, pastor, because that's what you're employed to do. But I, you know, I got other things to do. Well, you don't get a pass because look what Paul said at the end of this where he says to them, I coveted no one's silver or gold. This is verse 33. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. I took care of providing for my own needs. I took care of providing and ensuring that the team was with me. We worked hard. We did everything that we had to do. And yet our focus, our minds... Every resource, every bit of our time was always thinking about how can we be used by God to proclaim the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I don't care what your schedule looks like. You have time and you are here to be used by God to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Wherever you go, we have those opportunities. It simply requires, like Paul, that we consider our lives as less valuable and his life and his message as primary. That's our focus. Well, how do we do that? We can look at Paul's ministry that he encouraged the elders at the church of Ephesus with, looking closely at verses 19 and following. This is what Paul did, and every single one of us have an opportunity in our lives to live in this same way. The marks of Paul's ministry were first, humility. From the day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, like Christ, considering others more valuable than myself. We can serve with endurance. Paul serves, it says, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul's life was constantly under attack. We can see, again, just a few moments earlier, there's a riot in the city of Ephesus, and his friends know that if Paul steps into that theater, he's going to be put to death for it. 
His life was constantly being pursued, and yet he endured. His attention and his focus on proclaiming the gospel and living for Jesus, using all of his resources for that end, gave him endurance through those trials. Third, he proclaimed with boldness. Through trials and the plot of Jews, he says in verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I didn't shrink back. So often, one of the greatest hindrances of, our, of, of the movement of the gospel and sharing the gospel is when we come face-to-face with those opportunities, we say, maybe somebody else will do that. I'm not sure I have the right words. Friends, when Jesus sends you into a place, he sends you with the right words. He sends you with the message of, his, of the cross. He sends you with the gospel. And you're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been filled with the Spirit to testify. You simply have to tell others what Christ has done for you. We've spoken about this as we've studied this book many, many times. Paul was bold and did not shrink back. Continuing on, he says that he did not shrink back and he went teaching you in public and from house to house. There was consistency in Paul's ministry. It wasn't just sort of haphazard. It wasn't, today I've decided I'm going to preach about Jesus and tomorrow maybe not. In this location, I'm comfortable with talking about Jesus, but in this other situation, I'm not so comfortable with talking about Jesus. Everywhere he went, he was focused on talking about Jesus. In public places, in private places, wherever the Lord sent him, he trusted the Spirit of God was with him to talk and share the hope of Christ. And without prejudice says in verse 21 that he testified both to Jews and to Greeks. He didn't care what their backgrounds were. He didn't care what their stories were. No matter what is happening in our lives, no matter where we've come from, the power of Jesus has the power to transform. And Paul wanted everyone he came encounter with to know that. And what was the grounding of that? It was of repentance. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't testify to himself. He doesn't elevate his ministry even. He, as he's being used by God so powerfully, his focus wasn't on himself. Again, he says, I do not account my life of any value or as precious. Only, only that I may finish my race, that I may finish the ministry that God has given me. This was what defined Paul's ministry. This is why he preached, as he says, the whole counsel of God. And he could say to this church in in, in Ephesus, I am clear. There is no blood on my hands. As I leave you, knowing that I'll never see you again, I have given you the most important and valuable message there is to give, which is the message of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And he had peace. Yes, he was sad that he was going to leave these friends, that he knew he would never see them again as he went off to Jerusalem. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? If every time we left that cup of coffee, every time we finished that dinner at the house together, every time we broke from this place and other places where we gathered together, that we could leave in peace and with hope and with confidence, knowing that we did all we could to share the love of Christ, the encouragement of Christ, the hope of Christ, the message of Christ, whatever it is that the people that God has brought into our lives need to hear that we have been faithful to simply speak the name of Jesus and say, I don't count my life of any value. All All that matters is that you would know the Jesus that I worship. Can you imagine what life would look like 
If that was the testimony of your life, if every waking moment your thoughts were on where and how and when will I have the opportunity to speak the powerful name of Jesus over people who desperately need that Jesus. This world, I don't have to tell you this, friends, is broken and is hurting and is grieving. And there is only one hope. It's the name of Jesus. This is why Paul lived as he did. The idol worshipers that existed in Ephesus, they saw the power of Jesus on full display because he wrecked economies. <laughs> That's what Jesus does. He wrecks lives as we come to him. This is why this morning we're going to receive from the Lord's table. Ask yourself this question. What have you spent your life on? What have you given your life to? Like Paul, could you say, I account my life of no value if only I may testify to the power and the beauty and the grace of Christ. That's what I'm here to do. Yes, you've, like Paul, you've got work to do. You've got to provide for your family. You've got to do all of the things that you might be called to do. But your focus and your attention is simply on proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. If that's not your life, maybe there's some gaps in that. There's some gaps in my life, friends. <laughs> what I'm here to do and what we're here and have the opportunity to do is to, to remember what Christ has done. We want to elevate Jesus this morning. Remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. His death on the cross for the sins of the world. So that as we elevate him, the idols of this world might take their rightful place and either fall away or at least take a step towards diminishing. Those idols are going to rage in your life. As you try to step away from them, as you try to say no to those things, I can just tell you, just like happened there in Ephesus, the idols are going to rage. And it's going to require a focused attention on the face of Jesus through prayer, through his word, through time together as this body. And so we're going to receive from the Lord this morning and remind ourselves of the good news of the gospel. The worship team in a moment is going to lead us. And my invitation to you is to just examine. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, before you come to the table, examine your heart. Ask yourself the question, what have I given my life to? And those areas where you've had attention on other things, on lesser things, repent of those things and receive the grace and the kindness of Jesus. Receive from him. And then come to the table and remember that he gave his life to atone for the sins of the world as the substitute for us. So we're going to marvel together in Jesus. We've got a lot of people in the room, so I'm going to give you a few instructions. And I know a few of you are first-time guests. You haven't received from the table with us before. Um, again, I just want to invite you before you come forward, um, spend some time with Jesus, examine your heart. And then our elders are going to serve. We will have elders serving at each section I'm going to go ahead and ask our elders to come forward. We should have them so you can identify those brothers. They're going to serve each section of the table, of, of the room. And so those of you on each wings, you'll receive juice and bread on the wings. And those of you here in the center two sections, if you'll go on the outer section and then up back through the middle, 
and that will help us sort of navigate um, this beautifully large crowd. Praise God. <laughs> There's a lot of people here worshiping Jesus this morning. We're so thankful. Um, and so we're going to receive together and then back to your seats and then we'll take communion um, together. I'm going to pray and then you pray and then come to the table. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel that our lives have been purchased by you through your shed blood, your broken body on our behalf. As we come to the table, help us to remember that. And when you be magnified in our hearts so that lesser things would fall away, pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh, you